Proverbs chapter 2, as we continue this series, Wisdom That Works. Wisdom That Works, the subject of the message tonight, is Wisdom's If-Then Proposition. Wisdom's If-Then Proposition. We're going to cover the whole chapter tonight, um, because here's what Solomon is doing. He is giving the third lecture to his son. Something's happening up there. He's given the third lecture to his son about, uh, and it's okay if we don't have the screen, I'm okay with that. He's given the third lecture to his son of many lectures in the first nine chapters. And the actual Proverbs doesn't start until chapter 10. But what he's doing in the first nine chapters is he's trying to get his son to buy into what he's going to tell him in chapters 10 through 31. And so he's selling wisdom. He's doing what fathers and mothers should do to their children. He is convincing them that wisdom is worth having. Wisdom is worth searching for. This is the third lecture. Chapter 1, we, we learned what, that, that the first lecture involves Solomon telling his son that you ought to listen to your parents more than you listen to your peers. And then the, the second lecture involved describing the cry of wisdom. And her invitation is to all. And she's urgent and she's passionate. And he, he gave his son and he gave us a warning for what will happen if we don't listen to wisdom's cry. And it was very, very serious. The tone of the end of chapter 1 is very serious. And now he gets into the third lecture. And I imagine it as though he takes a deep breath. And then he just, almost like a fire hydrant, explodes on his son in one big long sentence. 22 verses worth. Talking about this one huge if-then proposition concerning wisdom. And he gives them the benefit of wisdom and what you have to do to get it. So let me read you a few verses and then we'll get into our message. Let's start with verse 1. My son, if, there it is, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, verse 5, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Verse 9, then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity, yea, every good path. When wisdom entereth into thine heart, you could say, if wisdom entereth into thy heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. You could say, he says too, you could say then, then to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh forward things, then go down to verse 16, to deliver thee from the strange woman, even from the stranger, which flattereth with her words. There are a lot of if-then propositions in life, if you think about it. If you don't take a shower, then you will stink. I wanted to start there, right at the bottom level. Brother Landis, every year before our Christian school would start, those that are my generation will remember, he would come in and he would, he would teach a lesson on hygiene. He was the pastor here for 25 years. And he would come in and speak to all the student body, and the boys particularly, on hygiene. And he would say, use deodorant. And, and he said something like, what did he say, Brother Kay? Can you mimic him? Take a bath. Yeah. So he would do this. I was like, what's Tussie? I still don't even know what it is. But, but he would do that. Every, it's just trying to teach us the if-then proposition of hygiene. If you save your money, then you'll be financially stable. 
If you work hard, then you will succeed. If you show yourself friendly, then you will have friends. If you show yourself annoying, then you will be lonely. It's true. If you eat right and exercise, then you will get in shape. A personal one for me, if I eat pizza late at night, then I'll burp and burn all night. Can I get a witness? If you're over your 30s. This is from our youth pastor, Taryn Walton. If Jerry Jones dies, then the Cowboys may win another Super Bowl. And all God's people said, amen. The Bible actually has its own if-then propositions. In John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. 1 Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Matthew, if you forgive your trespassers, then I will forgive your trespasses. Malachi, if you bring your tithes and offerings into the storehouse, then will I open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you. And our text is one huge if-then proposition concerning wisdom. Solomon tells his son, watch here, if you give your life to the search of wisdom, then three things will happen. Number one, wisdom will guide you into a deep relationship with God, the source of wisdom. Number two, wisdom will grow your character, the source of your decisions. Number three, wisdom will guard you from evil influence, influences, the source of all destruction. And here's what we're going to learn, if I could sum it up in a statement, give it to you right at the beginning. The search for wisdom is demanding, but the benefits of wisdom are rewarding. The demanding search is our part. The rewarding benefits, that's God's part. So we're going to spend the first part of the message talking about the if part of the proposition. That's up to us. The second half of the message in the text will show us the then part of the proposition, and that's God's part. Verses 1 through 4 teach us that if you give your life to the search of wisdom, what that looks like. So, so in our text, in the, in the first four verses, Solomon forms four couplets. They're each two lines, and they tell me they form what they call a synonymous parallelism, which means that the second line restates and emphasizes the first line. And if you notice in the first four verses that they're all action verbs, and if you notice, they intensify as we read along. The implication there is that an intensification of effort in the search of wisdom is necessary on our part. It's not passive. It's not just a single prayer. It's not coming to church, sitting and leaving, coming to church, sitting and leaving. You have to commit yourself to the demanding search of wisdom. So what does it look like? Here's the first couplet. Receive and hide. That's what he says in verse number one, receive and hide. The word receive means to take in. I want you to notice that the quest for wisdom does not begin with some mindless meditation. It doesn't begin with reading the wisdom of secular writers. He says, I want you to receive my words. Talks about the commandments. He's referring to the word of God. Listen, church, any time, and I, I, I feel like I'm going to repeat some of what Pastor emphasized, and just know, I didn't pick this message for this date. This is just the next verse and chapter. So God must be doing something on purpose today. Anytime you have an opportunity to take in or receive the word, you need to do it. 
You're searching for wisdom. That's why you need to be in church as much as you possibly can. An old preacher said it's not theology, but it's pretty good. You need three to thrive. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And that's even why we're careful about people even serving in ministries on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Because they're out, if they're out feeding people and ministering to people and serving people three services a week, then they're not being fed themselves. And you can't serve on empty very long before you break down. So we're very cautious of that as well. That's why, that's why you need to hook up with the Fellowship Bible class. And that's why you need to go home, men, and you need to lead your family and family devotions. Give your kids an opportunity to take in the Word. That's why every day yourself you need to read and study the Bible on your own. Any way you can take in and receive the Word, do it. Then he emphasizes that by adding this word, hide. That means to store up. David used that word in Psalms 119, thy word have I hid in my heart. I don't know about you, but part of the struggle for me of hiding God's Word in my heart is that oftentimes when I hear a message preached, it doesn't apply to my life in that moment. You ever been there? Where you come to church, and maybe you wouldn't say it out loud, but, but, but in your heart, he starts his introduction, or I start my introduction, you're like, man, that's not what I need right now. He's talking about parenting, and I'm not a parent. I need something for me. You might be a parent one day. He's talking about marriage. I'm not married. You might be married one day. He's talking to young people. Well, you, you might need that too. So, so here's the point, that, that, that when there's a message preached and wisdom is going forth, it may not, especially if you come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, maybe all three messages won't apply to where you are in the moment, but if you hide those in your heart, if you store those away, your life will intersect with the truth that you heard eventually. If you ask any of our first responders... I'm most familiar with the police and sheriff officers, but I'm sure the firefighters go through an immense amount of training. You know what the training is for? Potential disasters. When, when they do the active shooter training in the, in the public schools, I'll drive by South Middle School, the old South Middle School all the time, and there's, there's sheriff's officers and police officers training in there. And when, when they go through there, they've even used our building for that purpose. When, when the firefighters go through different training, there's not a live fire, but what they're doing is preparing for, God forbid, something like that would happen. And those guys don't mess around when they train. They train, they hide it away. They store it in their hearts. They get their formations down. They get their timing down. They get their communication down. So God forbid if it does happen, they're ready. So when the wisdom goes forth, no matter if it's in a corporate setting or a private setting in your own private devotional time, hide away God's word in your heart. I guarantee you at some point you'll need it. That's the search. Then he goes on with the second couplet. He says, incline and apply. Solomon's saying that we need to have, if you put those together, an obedient attentiveness. It starts with inclination, and then it continues to application. He starts with the ear. He says to incline. You know what that word means? It means to bend your ear on purpose. If you have a dog, maybe the dog's been chilling in the living room just like you are, and all of a sudden you hear it perk up like this, and you're like, what is going on? He hears something, and the dog is bending his ear on purpose. He's inclining his ear. And every time the Bible goes forth, whether it's in your lap at home, or whether it's in a fellowship Bible class, or whether it's right here in the auditorium, you ought to bend your ear on purpose. And I say on purpose because listening is hard sometimes. Especially if you are a three-to-thrive type Christian. 
Because sometimes when you hear the same voice over and over and over and over, it's hard to bend your ear. Especially for those of us in this day and age, when, when we, have, we don't have to watch the same video over and over. YouTube has hundreds of thousands. We get bored so easy these days. You can go to Apple Music and you can listen to a different song all the time. If you get sick of that artist, you go to this artist. Technology has conditioned us to not be able to listen with discipline very well. And so when we come to church, you have to incline your ear on purpose because we're tired and we're stressed and we're worried and we're burdened. And I rejoice, Pastor, I know you do too, when I see men and women on Wednesday nights especially come straight from work. It's a joy to my heart to see men that still have grease on their pants. See Trey, who's dressed in a sheriff outfit back there. Outfitted, I don't know what to call it. Uniform, costume, I don't know. It's a cute outfit, though. And a lot of our first responders do that. They, they poke in when they can, and sometimes they get called out. And many of you men and women do the same thing. And even college students rush from class or whatever. They can. I appreciate that. I love that. I think that's amazing. But that makes it difficult to listen, doesn't it? Because you've got to decompress, and you've got to get here, and get out of the situations of stress, and fighting with your spouse on the way, and and getting your children ready early on Sunday. There's just so many things that, that compete with our attention when we hear the word. That's why Solomon says, son, every time the word's before you, perk your ears up. And can I just add this in here? Not only do we need to fight distractions, we need to fight being a distraction. I don't want to meddle. I'm not going to get picky. I'm not going to get even too specific, though I could. I just think that, that we need to be careful when we're when we're corporately hearing God's word, that things we do in the worship service don't distract from people. So, so, so I love the fact that we have so many young families in our church, and, and, and that means that oftentimes during Sunday nights especially, they're training their little ones. I don't get annoyed by that at all. And, and obviously they know the appropriate time to take them out and then bring them. I, I, love, I love that. That's refreshing to me. That's great to me. But I feel like sometimes we need to retrain adults. You know, I don't want to get, I don't want to get too picky. I'm just, I'm saying when the word of God is going forth, we got to be careful to not be a distraction. A good rule of thumb is if you're the only one doing it, you probably shouldn't do it. Get what I'm saying? Unless you're the only one saying amen, then everybody else ought to join you. Amen. We just got to be careful about that. Because, because what, what's happening in the moment of preaching, it really is a spiritual warfare. I believe there's an invisible battle going on, and this is, this is a battleground in here. We've got to tune in. Then he says apply, and we know that that means that it just shouldn't go in the ear. It's got to go in the heart. And it's got to come out in our life, and the ones that are in most danger of being hearers only and not doers are the ones that hear the word the most. That's us. Let me give you a third thing in the demanding search. That's cry and lift. Lift up your voice. Speaking of prayer, I want you to recall the end of last message in Proverbs of, chat, of chapter 1, and I want you to think back to how wisdom calls out to us. Verse number 20 of chapter 1 says, Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice 
in the streets. And we talked about her urgency and her passion and her volume. So much so where she'll go in the public square. And, and it refers to wisdom as a lady. So lady wisdom would go into public square and even risk cultural disgrace. Women weren't supposed to speak in the Middle East, let alone speak in public, let alone speak passionately and, and with authority. But that's how wisdom cries out to us. And I think Solomon is telling his son, there's going to come a time when you must answer wisdom's call to you with a similar response. James said, if you have a lack of wisdom, any of you lack of wisdom, let him ask of God. I believe a prayer for wisdom ought to be on your daily prayer list. I believe you ought to lift your voice to God in, in those seasons of life in which you've got a decision to make. Relational decisions, financial decisions, whatever the case might be. And you ought to lift your voice, cry out to God as though wisdom's crying to you. You cry back out to wisdom and say, I need you. Then he says this, seek and search. He uses the analogy or the, the picture of searching for gold and silver and treasure. I don't know if you've ever heard of a man by the name of Mel Fisher. He's known to many as the world's greatest treasure hunter. The Atacha, it's a Spanish ship, it sank during the hurricane on September 6th, way back in 1622, near Key West, Florida. They say four years' worth of gold and silver was aboard and was headed to Spain. Growing up, Mel Fisher read about the Atacha in Potter's Treasure Hunting Guide. It had four stars beside it, indicating it had a lot of gold. So when he grew up, he moved his family to Florida and started his search in the Florida Keys. His famous daily saying to his searching crew is this, today's the day. And for 16 years he said that over and over and over until he finally found it. On July 20th, 1985, I was one year, six days old. The day came, they found it, they retrieved what they say was 250,000 artifacts. 40 tons of silver and gold were located, including over 100,000 Spanish silver coins, gold coins, Colombian emeralds, silver and gold artifacts, and over 1,000 silver bars. The value is estimated about a half a billion dollars. State of Florida tried to seize it, so they took him to court for eight years, and then they had to go to Supreme Court, but Mel Fisher got to keep the treasure at the end of the day. In 1998, he died of cancer. His son, Kim Fisher, carried on the treasure hunting, and he said, I quote, there's something addictive about gold. After 365 years underwater, it comes up just as shiny as the day it sank. He said, I would spend the rest of my life searching for gold. And that's exactly Solomon's point. He's saying that wisdom is worth spending your entire life searching for. And just like gold doesn't lose its shine, and just like gold doesn't lose its value, listen to me, the principles of wisdom found in God's Word don't either. You understand this book was written thousands and thousands of years ago, and we're still searching out the depth of its wisdom. Pastor asked us, have you ever searched out the depth of the Psalms? I, I can remember as a teenager, and, and, and Brother Bill's, Son, Mike Mills was on staff for a couple of years and, and a wonderful, incredible youth pastor, huge influence on my life. For this purpose mainly, he taught me how to study my Bible. I went into Brother Mike and I said, well, you teach me how to read my Bible. I just don't seem to be able to get anything out of it. I can't understand it off the page. And he said, we'll meet every Wednesday after school. I got out of school at noon, went to Brother Mike's office at 1 o'clock. We sat in there. He said, you'll need a Strong's Concordance. I said, what's a Strong's Concordance? Ask your dad. So I got a thick book. It's a, it's a thick book. 
It's every word in the Bible in Hebrew and Greek. And he says you'll need a lot of 8 by 11 pieces of paper. 8 and a half by 11. So I take my notebook, take my strongs, and he says, let's start in the book of James. And we're going to take one verse at a time. He says, I want you to draw a big line through, through that piece of paper. So I draw a line. And he says, on this side of the paper, I want you to write interpretation. On this side of the paper, I want you to write application. And I want, us, I want you to write the verse, on, on, right under that line, I want you to write the verse out word for word. And so I did that. And he said, now circle the words you don't understand in James 1.1. So I circled them. He said, now open that big old book. Let's, let's, go, let's go to work. And so we went and looked at every word I circled, and then I wrote the meaning by that word. And he said, now rewrite that interpretation with the words you looked up and how you understand it. So I would read right, and I'm like, oh, I, I get it now. And he said, now what are you going to do with it? Write that in the right column. How are you going to live that out? And so I, I wrote that, and we had spent an hour, sometimes two hours, going verse by verse by verse. And for an entire year, we searched the depths of, the, of wisdom in the book of James. And since then, I, I, I honestly, I don't skim read. Some people do, and I think it's great. But, but I take my time through the Bible, and I dig through the verses. And I always have a, 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 a commentary or a concordance right beside me during my Bible reading. And there are still times whenever I prepare my messages that I write out the verse word by word and circle the words I don't understand. The point is this, you need to get into God's word deep. We don't always need to feed off the bottle of milk. At some point the Apostle Paul told the Hebrews, you've got to start eating meat. You wonder why, why, why eventually your life plateaus. It's because you're living on devotional meat for years and years and years. One verse in a story, one verse in a story, one verse in a story. Start there. Don't start with me, you'll choke. Start there. But eventually get into God's word. Get up five minutes earlier so you can get, dig a little deeper. Then, then get up 15 minutes earlier so you can dig a little deeper. Then buy a book so you can dig a little deeper. Are you with me? That's what, that's what we're... Talking about in this endless search, giving our life to search. And by the way, don't stop in your search. Don't stop too early. Well, I just don't understand it. I can't get it. Find somebody like a Michael Mills to help you. Seek out some help. Seek out some advice from the pastoral staff, from one of our deacons, from one of their wives, one of your fellowship Bible class leader, whoever. Don't stop short because the treasure's there. We got to search for it. And here's what's going to happen if we do. Psalmist says, if you give your life to the search of wisdom, I'm talking about applying and, and inclining and crying and lifting and receiving and hiding and searching and seeking, here's what's going to happen. Number one, wisdom will guide you into a deep relationship with God, the source of wisdom. Look at verse 5. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Don't miss this. The first and foremost benefit of wisdom is not intelligence. It's a relationship. As you receive and hide and incline and apply and search for wisdom, your goal is not to get smarter. Your goal is to go deeper in, into a relationship with God, a relationship that fears God and reverence God and knows God. A relationship with God, even according to Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning that's the first byproduct of a wise life. So when you're searching for wisdom, search for God. When you're reading your Bible, find God. When you're listening to a message, find God. That's where it begins. And it makes sense because he is the source of all wisdom. 
Verse 6. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up, or he stores, sound wisdom for the righteous. He's a buckler to them that walk uprightly. He keepeth the path of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. In other words, God's not stingy. He has his hands open with plenty of wisdom. He lays it up. It's like a picture of having a warehouse full of wisdom. If you just know the combo, you can get in and get some. It's a beautiful picture. What a benefit. You can know God deeper. Here's the second. Wisdom will grow your character. We're going to find that character is the source of all your decisions. Look at verse 9. Then shalt thou understand righteousness and judgment and equity. Let me explain this to you. Watch. These three words that I just mentioned, they're called moral synonyms. In other words, they, they all work together to represent the character of God and the resulting character in us as we pursue wisdom. So follow me here. Follow me. As you pursue wisdom... I just told you, you're going into a deeper relationship with God, which means you're going into a deeper knowledge of God. You're going to know His character, and, and who you're around is who you become. And so as you're around God and you're instructed in His righteousness, His equity, and judgment, that's going to be the traits that, that, that are dominant in your life. And you know what character is? It's who you are on the inside. Character's not necessarily what we can always see at church. It's who you are on the, on the inside and then he follows up, look at, look at your Bible, he follows up those three moral synonyms with this phrase, yea, every good path. Now I hope you're studying with me. So what is Solomon wanting us to understand here? Well, you've got to do a little bit of study in the Hebrew language. I'm not fluent in that, but I read after guys that are. And the Hebrew language is actually very beautiful. They, they wrap a lot of their words with a lot of color and a lot of pictures and, and all of that. And, and so if, when you study the word path, uh, it's related to two Hebrew words. One's a verb and one's a noun. The verb means to roll. The noun literally means cart. It's rendered to mean this from scholars, the track of a cart or of a wagon wheel. So picture this. As a wagon wheel rolls over a dirt road enough times, it's going to eventually form a path, and you'll notice very clearly where that wheel has been. Are you following me? In the same way, watch, when a person pursues wisdom over and over and over, they make their life a constant search for wisdom. Here's what's going to happen. That person will fall into routines and habits that begin to reveal their moral character. And so as you search for wisdom and you find it, you're going to begin to form holy habits. And those holy habits will begin to forge that, that, that path in your life. And when you have holy habits, your path will be holy. Solomon is saying this, the search for wisdom, watch this progression, it will forge in you godly character, and that character will result in godly choices, and those choices will put you on a path that leads to a great future. Did you follow that in verse 9? Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want a good relational future? I want to have a good relationship with my wife for years. I don't want that to die. I want to have a good relationship with my son. I want to have a good relationship with my parents. I want to have a good relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to have a good relationship with my lost friends in our community. Who doesn't want a good relational future? Then Solomon is saying this, apply yourself to wisdom and you'll have the character that leads to a good relational future. Who doesn't want a, a good financial future? Then apply yourself to wisdom and you'll have the character that leads to good choices, which leads to good stewardship, which leads to a path of financial security. Who doesn't want a healthy future? I just went to the doctor 
Found out my cholesterol is high at age 34. Are you kidding me? And he told me what I had to do. And I got a little wisdom from the doc. Don't worry for me, I'm just fine. I'm feeling good, my heart's beating great right now. But if I apply that wisdom, it's going to lead to a better future. Somebody say amen. That's the truth in our health. We, our body is the temple of God. Who doesn't want their kids to have a successful future? Every parent and grandparent in here do. Then apply yourself for wisdom and, and you'll begin to forge the character that you need as a parent to instill the, the values and, 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 and the spiritual strength in them that leads them down a path of righteousness. So I look at these first two benefits. I get deeper relationship with God if I find wisdom. And, and then I also get a growing character. And I just got to look at that pastor and say, what a generous God. If I do my part, look at what he does for me. We give our life to the search of wisdom. We get those two things. But then he, he gives one more benefit. It's huge. He says wisdom will guard you against evil influences, which we'll see are the source of destruction. I want you to think about this. We live in a time when security systems are more of a necessity than a luxury, right? I can remember growing up, me and my brother, walk, we were walking with my mom into J.C. Penney's. And we walked by what I think at the, at the time was the only Dodge Viper in town. It was red. I think it was, it was driven by an old lady. In fact, I think her last name was Randall. Right? And we walked by this and my brother. I always tell stories on my brother. My brother touches the car. And literally a voice starts talking to us. Step back from the car. I don't know if you remember those alarms. They were intense. I mean, I'm just jumping back. It's so, so scary. Praise God for the days when they went to, remember those steering wheel bars? What were those called? I don't remember, but I didn't want to hassle with it because I wasn't strong enough to pull them apart. But um, I remember those, seeing those in Walmart parking lots. People had their steering wheels locked. And, and, and in a lot of ways back then, it, it wasn't as much of a necessity as it was a luxury. But, but now we have alarms on everything. Now we have security systems for everything, even in our own church, we have a security system. In your doorbell, you probably have a camera now. Dogs in our backyards. Can't go through the airports without getting screened from head to toe. We live in a day and age where we have to guard ourselves against the evil of our day. So in verses 10 through 22, Solomon's telling us that there's actually a security system for our life, and it's called wisdom. And it protects us from two kinds of people, the evil man and the strange woman. Now, wouldn't it be great if, if, if we were approached by an evil man or approached by a strange woman, if we had kind of an alarm system and a security system that worked like that Dodge Viper? Step away from me, strange woman. Wouldn't that be great? I wouldn't have to do anything. She'd be like, oh, well, I guess they're off limits. That's not how it works. But I think what Solomon's going to teach us is that our life should be so characterized by wisdom that it basically functions that way. If you have wisdom, it will sound this internal alarm that guards you against these two kinds of people. And so Solomon breaks down what these two kinds of people are like. Starts in verse 12 describing the evil man. Look at verse 12. To deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh froward things. That word froward means perverse. It means contrary to morality. It's related to a verb that means to turn or to overturn. So watch here, don't miss this. Figuratively, it means to pervert things so they are morally upside down. So if you have wisdom, it's going to protect you against the evil man that tends to call bad things good and good things bad. 
Verse 13, who leaves the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. Do you understand that if he left the path of uprightness, he was once walking on the path of uprightness. We're talking about the evil man that used to be in church. The one that used to be interested in the things of God. But now they've left their spiritual heritage. They aren't like the three girls singing praises to God anymore. They've left the light and they're walking in darkness and they want to take us with them. Verse 14, the evil man rejoices to do evil, delights in the forwardness of the wicked. So he loves wickedness and he loves to watch other people do wicked things. It speaks of the callousness of his heart towards sin. Verse 15, whose ways are crooked and they forward in their path. That word crooked means twisted or, or perverse. You probably called somebody a crook. What do you mean by that? You probably mean they're shysters. They're twisted. They're trying to take advantage of you. That's what Solomon's saying. Now watch here. You're going to miss the point of the text if you think this person is some kind of scary, greasy guy who's hanging out at some park somewhere. Now Solomon may be addressing somebody that's in your life right now. I'll get more specific than that. According to an Old Testament story, Solomon may be addressing an evil man that's part of your own family. You ever heard of the story of Amnon? King David's son, struggling with lust. I mean, I'm talking a, a twisted sexual perversion that he, that he was struggling with. A, a, and the Bible says that, that he wanted to act on that thought, but the Bible says it was too hard for him. And then comes along his cousin, Jonadab. And Jonadab, the Bible says, was a subtle man. And he gave very subtle advice. Even I mean, a family member, supposed to be able to trust them. Gives them subtle advice that isn't Bible-based. And Amnon got the courage at that point to act on that lust. And he defied the, the purity of his own family member. He, 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 he destroyed the functionality of his family, even worse than it already was. He wrecked his own conscience and his own life in that way. He was never the same. And listen to me, he, he couldn't help that Jonadab was his cousin, but he could help that Jonadab was his friend. Just because they're part of your family doesn't mean they're wise. Be careful about that. The evil man might be in your own church. I'm talking about, he, he described the evil man as someone that speaks froward things. So be careful about the gossip in your church. The complainer in your church. The critic in your church. Be careful about those that might be trying to, 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 to cause division among the brethren or the cistern in your church. Young people, be careful about the teenager that talks bad about their own parents. Be careful about that. Don't sit by them in church. Don't do it. It's bad for you. Some preacher said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. So I'll add to that, show me your friends and I'll show you your future habits. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future heart for God. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future love for your church. Your friends will make you or break you. If you have wisdom, you won't be deceived by the evil man. What a benefit. Then he talks about the strange woman. Some of you might be uh, unfamiliar with, with that term, and so let me explain to you. It didn't mean that she was weird. It also wasn't referring to her ethnic background. It meant some, someone who is morally foreign. So estranged with God because of their behavior. It's the adulterous woman who's acting outside the legal bounds of marriage. 
In fact, Saul was really passionate about the strange woman, talking about uh, the dangers of the strange woman to his son. He used 65 verses about her. Chapters 5 and 7, we'll read it later on in the series. And there's actually a parallel thought with the evil man. Both the evil man and strange woman, if you study it, have ungodly speech. They both have abandoned the way that is right, and they both lead to destruction. Solomon gets specific and says the strange woman, she flatters with her words. She tells you what you want to hear. Number two, she's forsaken her husband. Number three, she's ignored God. Number four, the direction of her life leads to death. Meaning those who go in her direction rarely return. And if they do, they rarely come back the same. This is very serious. And, and again, I'm going to say this. You're going to miss the point of the text if you think this is talking just about some woman who is hauled downtown for prostitution. This is an admonition to stay away from immoral women wherever they may be found. Listen, men. It could be a woman in the workplace whose husband hasn't been showing her affection. It could be a single girl who wants attention. It could be a friend's wife. It could be a church member. It could be the person you're currently dating. It could be someone you met over the internet. It could be someone just from the kindness of your heart you're trying to counsel. And so you're, you're, you're sympathetically sending back text messages. Our social media interaction. And one thing leads to another. Please listen, the strange woman doesn't have to be dressed like a prostitute to be a strange woman. She can just not be getting the affection she deserves and needs at home. And she's willing to be morally foreign to get that, even in a church place. And I've known, I've known many good men, many good men who have been slain by the strange woman. Men that have preached in our pulpit. Men that have preached in, in, in some of the biggest independent Baptist churches in the nation. Have been slain by the strange women in their own congregation. So women, don't be strange. And men, apply yourself to wisdom so when they come along, your internal alarm will say, step away from the vehicle. And sometimes that internal alarm comes by way of a discerning wife. When my wife used to tell me early on in ministry when I knew everything, and my wife would tell me when we were in the youth ministry, be careful about her, I'd say... Give me a break. She's 15 years old. Be careful about her. Whatever. And I would crush her spirit because I would get defensive. But I've learned real quick that my wife knows women better than I do. And she's a lot more discerning about the strange woman than I could ever be. In fact, Solomon says many good men have been slain. So it doesn't matter how many messages I preach, I can be slain by the strange woman. Praise God for a discerning wife that protects me from that. Sometimes wisdom comes by way of Jenny Lee. Yeah. So listen to your wife, men. Hey, young people, sometimes wisdom about a strange woman or a strange man comes by way of your parents. So when they say stop texting them, hey, listen to me, stop texting them. Why? They see something and discern something in that individual. You can't see and discern right now. Your emotions have fogged your discernment. So pump the brakes. When they put on the red light, don't fight them. Don't argue with them. Don't roll your eyes. Don't slam your door. Don't throw your phone. Don't huff and puff as though you know more than they. They've been down that road. 
And I say this not of anger. I'm not preaching down to you. I'm pleading with you. Listen to wisdom that comes to you through your parents. It's that alarm that it sounds keeping us from sexual temptation. Yeah. There are three benefits. And if you're like me, by this point in the message, you're thinking, well, what's in the fine print? Because I, I heard the benefits, but every commercial I hear about all the benefits, the last five seconds of the commercial has the fine print. But be careful because you might get cancer. You might get a heart attack. You might have a stroke. You might go brain dead. You might start convulsing. You, you've heard those commercials, right? Well, I'm thankful Solomon actually doesn't end the proverb that way. There's no fine print. There's no, okay, if you take the pill of wisdom, you're, you're probably going to get this, but you could get this. So there's none of that. Look at verse 20. That thou mayest walk in the way of good men and keep the paths of the righteous. I can hear Solomon's son after this big old lecture, him saying, God, Solomon, Dad, according to your standards, I'll never have friends. I'll never have a girlfriend. You think they're all strange. I'll never get married. I'll never have any freedom. They're all evil, aren't they, Dad? And he just clears it up real quick. No. No. Warren Wiersbe said, if you follow the word of God, you'll never lack for the right kind of friends. And then in verse 21 and 22, here's what he says. When you walk in the path of good people, you're going to experience the blessings of life and avoid the unnecessary paths of life. Look at it. We've read it every verse. Might as well read this one. For the upright shall dwell in the land, verse 21, and the perfect shall remain in it, but the wicked shall be cut off from the earth, and the transgressors shall be rooted out of it. Maybe after listening to the message tonight, you feel like you've been in front of a fire hydrant. It's just all come at you. That's a lot of information, Pastor. Well, it's easy to break down. Let me break it down for you. Wisdom's if-then proposition. If you give your life to the search of wisdom, then you will be guided into a deeper relationship with God. You'll grow in your character. And you'll be guarded against evil influences. Now does the statement make sense? The search for wisdom is demanding. But the benefits of wisdom are rewarding. Somebody say amen if you believe that, if you've experienced that. Some of you aren't saying amen. So maybe you aren't experiencing the benefits of wisdom. Question, and we're done. How is your search for wisdom? How is it? Is your life right now about the search for wisdom? What part of the demanding search do you need to improve on? That's your part. That's not God's part. God won't do it for you. Is it the receiving and hiding that you're struggling with? Is there an opportunity to receive the word that you're not taking advantage of right now? Is there a service you should be in that you're not? Maybe for me, and I'll tell you the application I wrote down, for me, when it, the weakness of mine in the search for wisdom is the hiding part. So what I'm going to start doing, Lord willing, if I'm a doer of the word, I practice what I preach, I'm going to start memorizing one verse a week. If, if the word of God is our only offensive weapon, I need to sharpen the blade. I need to hide it in my heart. Is it the inclining and applying? Is there, is there something that distracts you from hearing the word of God? Then maybe the action on your part 
ought to be something as simple as leaving your phone in your car and bringing in a notebook and pen instead. Or simply sitting in a different spot. Well, that's practical. Absolutely. Is it lifting and crying? How long has it been since wisdom has been on your daily prayer list? How long has it been since you prayed every day? Is there a situation of life right now where you desperately need wisdom? Are you praying for it? Maybe you could use the invitation tonight to say, God, to lift up your voice and cry. God, I need wisdom. These are just some practical ways to respond to God's word. I know it's demanding, but wisdom benefits are so rewarding. Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to pray.